Hello and welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael, a foreign wine sales associate and vineyard worker. A foreign wine sales associate? Did I say foreign? It I'm, sounded like you said foreign. I thought I said former, but I could be having some phonetic disabilities at Michael's the moment. Michael's having a stroke, guys. I am, it's, Please send your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts and prayers. No, send money. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Gabe. I am WSCT Level 3 certified, and I work as an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. If you haven't already done so, please do follow us at LaidbackLush on Instagram and Twitter where you get to hear all of our hot takes on things more than likely unrelated to wine, beer, or spirits. Speaking of hearing awful things, uh, I apologize if I sound a little bit phlegmy this episode. We also apologize that there was no episode last week. I got sick, and I am still a little stuffed up from that. And we also have a bit of a bigger project in the works that we're working on, and that kind of complicated actually getting down to recording. So, good things coming. We apologize for missing last week, but... We I mean, are. he apologizes. I did nothing wrong. Um, that, okay, you know, you, know. <laughs> you could support me as your co-host, Michael. No, yeah. In, in point of fact, he said, uh, send your thoughts and prayers. I'm going to ask you guys to berate my podcast partner <laughs> oh. on the oh. fact that he got sick in an in involuntary fashion. No, uh, but you we know, are. <laughs> I thought I had support. I thought I had kindness. I thought I had friendship, yeah, Michael. You thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we are very glad that uh, Gabe is coming out from under the weather as we get into more of this wintry abode, and hopefully we can have a more consistent schedule going forward. But we are very excited about that project that we are coming up with. I've been having a ton of fun researching it. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, today, though, we decided that we wanted to discuss Something that you've probably run into and didn't know, and if you've ever bought a bottle of wine and had it and didn't like it and then went back and somebody suggested the wine or you ended up trying it somewhere else and you really liked it, it could be possible that there was something called a wine flaw. Yeah, it's the bane of any party where you have selected a group of bottles of wine in order for everybody to share and you get one of them and it's just not good at all. There are a lot of different things that can cause this, and they all can be isolated to a small group of causes. And in most cases, you're able to go and return those bottles for either a refund or an exchange. Yeah, I mean, any grocery store, or major grocery store at least, or a wine shop worth their salt will take back a flawed wine. Because you didn't pay for a flawed wine. Yeah. Also, uh, just something to note, we know we did cover some wine flaws in the Wine Night Inn episode if mm-hmm. i remember correctly there's more here and we are going to be going much more in depth so this is not necessarily repeat content so if you did listen to that episode and you're thinking i've already heard this no you haven't no you haven't sir or this madam is entirely or new yes get educated get educated get educated do your study do your research we're better than you now <laughs> yeah, I, we not, could we could not bringing out the s word <laughs> we are your <laughs> i cut it out last yes, time. yes you did i cut it out last time don't you dare but then you'll just cut it out again <laughs> it'll be fine. we'll fix it in post <laughs> We have to fix a lot of things in post. (laughs) So uh, most of your wine flaws are going to break down into just four categories. Oxidative, sulfur compounds, microbiological, and environmental. There are also going to be how, how we have structured today. We're going to be going into our recognized flaws. 
as well as more of our subjective flaws. There are certain things that should not be there, and then there are some things that end up being a part of the composition that a winemaker is actually going for. But starting out with our recognized flaws, we're going to travel on over to microbial taint. Yeah. So what are some of the signs of microbial taint? So kind of the big one is going to be quote-unquote mousy flavors or mousiness. This is something that pops up a lot, particularly in natural wine and low-intervention wines. This basically can be described as a dirty mouse cage or a kind of dog breath aroma (laughs) is one that I came across in reading. It's thought to come from the pH change when the wine interacts with your saliva, and that is when the aroma really kicks in. This is something that you will notice once it's already in your mouth. Unfortunately, this is not a flaw. Unlike pretty much all the other flaws on this list that you will be able to pick up on the nose, it will be once it gets into your mouth. So if you taste a dirty hamster in your mouth, that's mouse. Going back a little bit, microbial contamination. It can manifest as moldy or musty aromas. It can manifest as sweaty aromas. It can manifest kind of as a rubber aroma. So the reason in particular that natural wines and low intervention wines tend to pop up in this kind of flaw more so than most other wines is because we do use sulfur dioxide to help with microbe control in wine. So when there is a lack of sulfur dioxide, it lies in like none at all, it does leave room Mm. for these bacterial colonies to get a little bit out of control. Now, this can also come from a lack of filtering. We do have filters now that are fine enough to strip out bacteria in particular. Not every wine producer filters to this degree. A lot of your more high-volume brands in particular will just to ensure consistency across their whole product. But for smaller producers, it is a common practice as well, although they might go for a rougher filter. It's kind of a combination of the two in most cases where you will get these mousy, sweaty, whatever, microbial aromas. Some people say that they like a little bit of mouse on a wine, particularly natural wine drinkers. I'm not here to yuck your yum. I have had some natural wines that have been a little bit mousy. It's not my thing. Uh, it's off. Yeah, I, I can't um, but, say that it's particularly my thing either. Yeah. But, you know, uh, if you do enjoy that, I guess look to natural wines. <laughs> yeah. And normally it's not going to, if it's a result of not having the proper filtering, then it's not going to harm you. It's not normally something you want to drink yeah, either, though. It's not necessarily something you want in your body. Yeah. Which is another reason why it's like, no, this is a recognized flaw. Mm-hmm. Another thing that can happen is that your wine might be reductive. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to be more along the lines of like a, a – has like a struck match type of smokiness. Mm-hmm. You can get elements of like canned vegetables. So think like green beans, peas, that sort of thing. It can also – not to cut you off, but no, I, no. I had one wine when I was doing I think level three in particular that – it wasn't necessarily canned vegetable, but it was almost like the can itself. Yeah. It can also have that like close to metallic smell when you empty the can and, and you take a whiff. Yeah. Well, okay, if you're weird like me and you smell everything, uh, <laughs> it, it can also manifest as that. That one isn't quite as prevalent, though. It can also be very sulfuric. So, like, think about rotten eggs or if you've ever gone past certain city drains. Yeah. 
and cooked cabbage. Now, what could cause that? So, whereas a lack of sulfuric compounds in the microbial taint causes that, this is a little bit of the inverse. So, when too little oxygen is utilized in winemaking, particularly in white wines, I've noticed. So, Grapes have natural yeast on the skins, and therefore, logically, they also have other microbes, right? So when there is too little oxygen introduced, sometimes those microbes can get a little out of control during the winemaking process, particularly during fermentation, but can kind of happen at any point. And they will produce hydrogen sulfide or H2S, unlike SO2, which is what we introduce on purpose to help inoculate against microbial taint. Mm -hmm. But these microbes will produce H2S, and that will give that sulfuric smell to the wine. It can also come from too much SO2 or sulfur dioxide being added during the winemaking process. This one is a lot more uncommon because most winemakers at this point know how much sulfur to add. That's a pretty standard thing, but that can be a cause. There is one more form of this reductive character that technically doesn't come from the winemaking, but it is still sulfuric compounds or metacaptains. Or no, uh, mercaptains. Mer- mercaptains. I cannot read tonight. So this is actually, it's not cork taint, which we'll be getting to here soon. It's produced by mold on the corks that produces the mercaptans or the sulfuric compounds. This one, less than like a sulfur smell or a vegetable smell, this will kind of have a wet dog aroma. And it'll be pretty obvious. Yeah, that's called bottle shock, like the movie. Reductive, it's considered a flaw. It is a standard flaw. However, if it's not too severe, actually, we just had this happen last weekend. We opened a Gruner Veltliner that was actually a little bit reductive, Mm. but it blew off within like five minutes and it was very slight. So this one, because it's a lack of oxygen that tends to cause it, it can blow off sometimes. But if it's bad enough, it's really not worth waiting, in my opinion. Just return the wine and get one that is not flawed. Yeah. In general, though, if you do have any level of that, like, sharpness coming from a sulfur compound, I do recommend giving it a minute in order to to blow off or soften. Yeah. That can keep you from wasting what it would otherwise be a a fantastic wine. Yeah. Another thing that can happen is something might become oxidized. So if you've ever opened up a bottle of wine and you've seen some browning or there's a dull color, there's a dull flavor... You can think of it like even like a cider-like flavor, or like a, a sherry aroma in whites or, or vinegar in red, then something might be happening called oxidation. Yeah. So what is causing this? Oxidized wines, normally, this is going to come from either a bad closure, so that's a manufacturing issue, or if you've ever had a bottle sitting in your fridge or on the counter for more than a couple of days and you took no steps to either vacuum seal it or whatever, you probably noticed it tasted a lot worse after that couple day period. That is oxygenation, over-oxygenation in yeah. the wine. So it can also be from the wine bottle was open for too long. This is something you want to look out for at bars and restaurants 
hopefully no bartender would ever be offended if you asked how long a specific bottle has been open because again like bottles don't last for forever and they should be up on rotating their stock if they need to yeah and if it's been opened they already have gotten back the price of the bottle so they shouldn't be super offended in either in either case oxidation this is much 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 more rare for this flaw it can in theory come from winemaking like really poor winemaking but if you're going for an oxidative style of winemaking typically your winemaker knows what they're doing so that again if you don't know what oxidative winemaking is think barrel think um, open top fermenters it's the opposite of reductive it introduces as much oxygen into the wine during winemaking as possible but again That's typically handled by a talented winemaker who knows how to expose as much oxygen, but in the hand of a winemaker who maybe is very green, yeah, it can happen. But again, the overwhelming majority of cases are going to be either a bad closure or that bottle is just open for too long. Bad closure can also kind of play into cooked wines, which we'll be getting into here in a second. It can also just come from flawed corks or whatever was used. It just lets in too much oxygen. Yeah. That is the ultimate cause of this flaw is just too much oxygen was introduced far too quickly to the wine because wine likes to have some oxygen, but very small amounts over time. A very long time. Yes, not a lot of oxygen at once. It's kind of like leaving an apple on the counter. It turns brown. It starts to taste weird if it's on the counter for too long. Same principle applies with wine. If you would like more tips and tricks on how to increase the longevity of your open bottles, please do refer yourself to our Wine at Home episode, where we discuss several different types and their different effects. Moving on, though, we are talking about cork taint. If you've ever opened up something and there is like this musty, damp kind of aroma, this this feeling... I'm sorry, guys, but moist is a good way to put it. Yeah, and we want that to impact you in every way that that can, um, because it really is that. It's that wet cardboard aroma. This Mm -hmm. is... This is crawl space smell. Yeah. If you've ever been in the crawl space of a house. It can also manifest as a dulled aroma. Don't think dulled aroma like oxidized dulled aromas. Dulled aromas with oxidation tend to be like they smell past their prime. This one is you don't really smell them at all. Yeah. Cork taint just mutes the nose of a wine. You're not going to get that kind of like vinegary ripeness out of it. It's just going to kind of smell like dead air. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like smelling a bag of Jolly Ranchers that was left inside of a wet cabinet. Yeah. So what causes this? Well, we have a chemical compound called 246-trichloranosyl. And this is present in some wine corks, ergo where the term cork taint came from. This happens, this compound happens, when wine corks are being processed and either plant phenols from the bark of the cork tree that are being processed for cork or uh, fungi that are also possibly present in that bark interact with the chlorine that is used to sanitize the cork. Now, thanks to a lot of improvements in our manufacturing of corks and the development of things like synthetic cork and whatnot, we do now have a much more controlled environment. So cork taint has become much less common, but it's... Do you remember the statistic off the top of your head? It's still like one in every... 
like 10. I don't remember. Michael's looking it up. Um, but, but it's more than you might think. It is still a common flaw. Um, from Wine Spectator, the cork industry group APCOR cites a study showing a 0.7 to 1.2% taint rate. In a 2005 study of 2,800 bottles tasted at the Wine Spectator blind tasting facilities in Napa, California, 7% of the bottles were found to be tainted. So that's, you know, it's not overwhelmingly high, but it's something that I would say if you are a serious wine drinker, you are likely to come across. Yeah. And especially like you, you do want to keep an eye out for this because it can ruin an experience. Yeah, it, for sure. I mean, it makes a wine taste and smell kind of dead. You know what's interesting, though, is I find that this is less common among cheaper bottles. Well, think of how many cheaper bottles tend to use synthetic cork, though. Precisely. Yeah. So your more expensive bottles, the ones that are going for more natural corks, it tends to be a little less rare among them. So if you mm -hmm. end up buying you know, a, a $70, $80 bottle of wine and you come home and it tastes like cork taint, it's all musty and dull, bring it back. Yeah. Bring it back 100%. This is not one that you can fix with decanting or blowing off or anything like that, kind of like with reductive wines sometimes. Yeah. And again, you were you paid for a good bottle of wine. Yeah. Please do not feel obligated to just suck it up. Yep. So uh, this one is actually one that I uh, encountered not too long ago. So if you ever have a wine that tastes like this, so why don't you go ahead and taste this wine? Oh, no. And you just let me know what you taste inside of that. Do you, do you need a spittoon? Uh, no, I, I, can, I can brave it. I taste um, paint thinner. <laughs> and I, I know why you're having me try this. There's a slight spritz kind of character to it that's it actually not went, supposed to be there. When I opened it, guess what style of wine this is? Mm, I'm going to say Pinot? It is Pinot Noir. Mm. It is actually Pinot Noir that we have previously reviewed on this podcast. The A to Z Pinot Noir out of Oregon, which I love. But in this particular occasion, I had brought it over, and uh, I was going to have it with wine. Or I was going to have. We're going to have some wine with your wine. <laughs> I was going to have some. We were going to have a wine pairing night where you're just going to pair wine with wine. I only write poetry and wine. <laughs> each each uh, each different bottle, each different glass is how I feel on the inside mm. about you. It just gets less coherent as you get more drunk over the night. Because let's be real, that's the only reason you would do that practice in the first place. Yeah, seriously, it's it's because by the end of it, you've written a lot of crap. And, <laughs> but it sounds good and beautiful to you. It's postmodern. It's postmodern. So there is a, a. I ended up bringing this over for a dinner, and the people that were there took one taste of it, and most of them were like, "Oh yeah, no, I like it." And then I I took a taste, and I was like, "It's wrong." <laughs> yeah, it's wrong. It's medicinal. It tastes like sour strawberries, paint mm -hmm. thinner, and like soda carbonation, but not like. So if you pour Pepsi in a glass and you've let it sit for like seven hours and so there's yeah. just like, you can tell it's supposed to be carbonated because there's still like just a hint of that freeziness, but it it's not really there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are the signs of what this is. The causes are... Well, what what is this? Well, what is this? This is called second fermentation. Yes. So this can result from a couple of different things, one of which uh, simply being from getting a little bit actually too hot 
that it can also be a cause where mm-hmm. it, it just kicks back into it. But it's because there are residual sugars and a little bit of the dormant yeast present in the bottle ends up kicking back into life and ends up refermenting. This is another one that tends to be a bit of a plague upon natural wines. Because a lot of natural wines are so focused on using indigenous yeast. So since these indigenous yeast can't always do a full fermentation, when you bottle it, if there is dormant yeast and sugar still left in your wine solution when it reaches bottle, once that bottle warms up, particularly in transit, you have the possibility of a secondary fermentation starting. This is not to be confused with traditional method sparkling wines and Petnat sparkling wines, where putting it in the bottle for a second fermentation is the point. That is not a flaw. That is an intentional winemaking decision. This is an unintentional consequence. This is not supposed to happen. That being said, though, there are a few exceptions to this rule. There are some grapes and some wines that are actually expected to have a little bit of a second fermentation, or sometimes the grapes themselves just have a bit of a frizzy character to Mm -hmm. them. Vino Verde is kind of the quintessential example of this. If you've ever had a Vino Verde, it typically has a little bit of effervescence going on. That is not a flaw. Um, Well, I guess in a Vino Verde, it, it in theory could be, but in general, it is expected that those wines are going to have a little bit of that kick that effervescent kick to them. And that is expected for the grape and the region. So that's second fermentation. uh, And that is what, unfortunately, I did encounter with this Pinot Noir. I think there might be something else wrong with this Pinot Noir, though. There is something else wrong. It was exposed to too much heat, which happens to be the next thing. So what would you describe are the signs of heat damage? Heat damage, or sometimes called Madeirized wines. Coming from the method that is used to make Madeira. We still need to do a Madeira episode. We do. Um, Long story short, Madeira is purposefully exposed to high heat and high oxygen while it's being made. So it is supposed to be heat damaged, but again, it's controlled heat damage. When you hear Madeiraized used for anything other than Madeira, it means it's basically cooked. Cooked is another uh, word for heat damage as well. So heat damage, cooked wines, Madeiraized wines all mean the same thing. These are going to have cooked flavors. So think jamminess, not jamminess and like, you know, how Shiraz or California Cab is supposed to be kind of jammy. This jamminess is going to have a much more synthetic or artificial edge mm-hmm. to it, where it's going to kind of be like, um, like Welsh's yeah. preserves or something like that. It's a little sharper. Yeah. The sweetness feels a little bit more like cane sugar than it does uh, sucralose or, or fructose or anything like that. It can have a bit of a metallic bite to it sometimes, at least mm-hmm. in my experience. An overly sweet aroma can be an indicator of a cooked wine. Obviously, some wines are supposed to have a sweeter nose, but uh, if you're opening a California cab and it smells sweet, that's not really supposed to be there Mm. in most cases. Obviously, there's a wide variety of wine that comes out of California. If it's an early drinking style, maybe. But uh, if it smells too sweet or synthetically sweet, again, that is a pretty clear indicator that it was cooked. A processed aroma, which again is getting into that synthetic, artificial yeah. smell. It can almost feel like a sometimes like a mixture between like aspartame and cane sugar. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, actually. Yeah. And in reds, it can be like a raisinated kind of flavor, or in whites, it can be a nutty, sherry kind of flavor. These are both flavors that can come with oxygen interplay, but 
when it smells like it shouldn't be there, when it doesn't smell integrated into the wine, and you will know if it's not. If everything else is like, you know, um, bright strawberry, but then there's like a Robitussin cherry and then like a raisin <laughs> and then kind of a metallic flavor to it, and it, smel- and it all smells yeah. like overly sweet, that is a clear indicator that that wine has been cooked. I think you, you hit it right there. It's like sometimes it'll get to that like cherry where it's like, no, this is NyQuil. Yeah. This yeah. is a NyQuil sweetness. So I think that that's a more kind of relatable way of, of sharing what that sweetness indicator would be. Is it's, mm-hmm. it's a medicinal sweetness. Yeah. It tastes like they're trying to hide the fact it's medicine. Yes. So what causes this? It's kind of obvious from the name. It's heat damage, what? particularly during transit. That's yeah. when this flaw overwhelmingly will come into play. It was transported in containers that were far too hot. I've had a couple of cooked wines, uh, particularly out of California and South America, which kind of makes sense when you think about where they're coming from and how hot it is where they're coming from and transport. And if it's a brand that either can't afford or doesn't want to shell out for proper like refrigerated trucks and everything, this is a very real risk that you run into. Mm-hmm. A telltale sign that you can look at before the bottle is open is actually that the cork will be sticking out of the bottle. Corks are supposed to be flush or even a little bit down in the bottle itself. If it is above the lip of the bottle, I will say I've had a few where maybe it was like a millimeter or two above the bottle and the wine didn't taste cooked. So it could just be maybe the manufacturing plant was not quite as great in that case. But if it's like sticking out of the bottle pretty significantly, that is a sign that it was cooked. And that just comes from, again, the heat makes things expand, right? And so, yeah, so pressure builds up and it starts to push that cork out. So that is a pretty clear indication that that wine might be cooked. Which... And these two flaws, secondary fermentation and cooking, kind of go hand in hand because Mm -hmm. heat can kick off the secondary fermentation. Unfortunately, with the wine that I purchased, the A to Z Pinot Noir, it has a screw cap. So there was no way to even find an indication of its quality. So for this A to Z... I know I already kind of said this, but there's like a very um, artificial strawberry smell. This wine smells cooked. It has a medicinal character to it, almost like that Robitussin NyQuil kind of thing going on. There's like a caramely kind of flavor that just should not be there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't match with really anything else in the wine. That caramel is is overpowering. It smells. Um, whereas caramel in most wines will be kind of like something homemade or like a high quality dessert. This is like caramel from a Snickers bar that you peeled off of the Snickers bar and then dumped in the wine. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it should be there. It also tastes a little bit like latex. Do you get that? Um, I I could see vinyl from what I let me. Hmm. I see what you're getting at. It, it is starting to get a little rubbery almost. Yeah. So yeah, it's getting a little rubbery, a little latexy. I could see that. I I would yeah include vinyl in that. Yeah. So that's that's cooked damage think overly sweet artificial and again it just kind of smells cooked you know it it kind of smells like fruit that's been boiling in a pot for a while yes so again this is something that is caused by heat exposure you definitely want to be aware of this and again please return the bottle in order to actually taste what that wine is going to be like because it shifts the profile 
so far away from what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and again, this is one that you cannot have blow off or or adjust the wine to fix. Now, something that is a problem with a lot of different types of wine, as well as beer and pretty much every alcohol out there, is going to be something that ends up causing these more like wet wool smells or even like wet paper You uh, is, is another one that is found inside of beer. Mm-hmm. This damage is done very commonly, especially uh, to liquors that are not stored properly and ones that don't have proper shading on the bottle itself. So this kind of wet wool, cardboard, papery smell, it's a little bit different than the cork taint. It can have some similarities, but it's not so much musty as it is more like an animal wet wool mm-hmm. type smell. Yeah. So what, what can cause this? That is UV damage. Yes. Or light damage, kind of by extension, particularly sunlight, which is where UV rays come from, obviously. So like Corona, Yinling. These are types of beer that don't have darkened bottles. With mm-hmm. darkened bottles, they're there in order to protect the beer from sun damage. So what that means for the common drinker is that actually cans are the way to go. But because of the fact that they've been served so long in that style and people have gotten used to them being damaged, it's part of the expected profile. <laughs> so having a ginling out of a can versus out of the bottle is, is weird for people sometimes because it doesn't have one of the characteristic notes that they're used to. You know, fun fact, Yingling makes a, I want to say it's either a porter or a stout that actually isn't that bad. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't really like regular Yingling at all, but uh, my friend is from Pennsylvania, and she takes a lot of pride in that, and uh, she had me try. Again, I don't remember if it's a porter or a stout. It's a darker style of beer, but it's actually not bad, so keep an eye out for that one, I guess. And it's in a darker bottle, so it actually does have some protection. Yeah. If I'm at a function and they have, like... Coors, Corona, Yinling, or PBR, I am obligated to drink PBR. Yeah, I was about to say, if you're from Richmond, you have to drink. Can't be more than a dollar. Yeah, no. (laughs) You pay more than a dollar from it. Is it even a PBR? We don't even, we don't acknowledge inflation when we pay for PBRs. (laughs) Um, So UV damage is most common in white wines because white wines tend to have lighter bottles in general. Because they're trying to show off the color. Exactly. So... Again, Michael said wet wool smells, sunlight is bad for any everything. kind of, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, everything really. Everything. Except for plants. It's good for plants. It's good for plants. Good for, good for the climate, I guess. And you it's could, good yeah, for, I guess you could argue it's good for the climate. And it's good for vitamin D, good but vitamin please, D. if you do not wear sunscreen. Yeah. Like wear sunscreen. Wear good sunscreen. Yes. Don't wear SPF 15 sunscreen for crying out loud. That's not doing anything. Anyway. We'll stop lecturing you on how to live your life now. We uh, Also, we would like to, as we do every time that we try to speak foreign languages on this program, we would like to remind you that both me and Gabe are very white. Yeah, very white. Gabe, Gabe and I, excuse me. Gabe and I are very, very white, so we do not want the skin cancers. I am a redhead. <laughs> yeah, and I have freckles, so this is not a thing that we want. Set, UV damage, bad. Uh, don't store your bottles of any kind near a window yeah. or where sunlight can get to them. Store them in a cabinet. Store them in a place that is shaded. Yeah. In point of fact, making sure that you have a climate-controlled environment. Like, this is why I don't let Gabe sit next to windows. It's because you should not store your reds next to windows. Um, but <laughs> don't, don't give me that look. I am fantasizing about picking up the bottle sitting on the table and just smashing it over your head right now. Yeah, that's because I had him next to a window, so now he's damaged. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm so sorry, but I'm not. Um, I hate No, but you. you do want to store your wines in a cool, dark place. That is going to be the best for them, especially if you're aging them. Do not have them anywhere near sunlight. Do not have them anywhere near heat. As you can probably surmise from most of the things that we've said here, you want a cooler, darker environment in order to avoid these cropping up because you could have bought a good bottle of wine and simply through bad storage ruined it. Yeah. Now, there are other types of flaws. And these, like me, apparently. You know, just a little damage. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Well, but this, I would say that it's less about the uh, recognized flaws. You have more subjective flaws, you see, Gabe. <laughs> oh, oh, is that my problem? They're, they're composed to taste, you see. <laughs> also, just something to kind of, I guess, maybe clarify on. When we are sorting these in between subjective and recognized, when we say recognized, we mean like the industry recognizes mm-hmm. those flaws as like cut and dry. That is a flaw. What we're getting into now is more of... It's a spectrum of what these flaws can be, and some people like a little bit of these quote-unquote flaws present in the wine sometimes. Yeah, and a lot of these um, you'll notice from our previous tastings as being things that we complimented when they were yeah. in balance yeah. with the rest of the wine. But they can get out of balance, and when they do, they Easily, are most yeah. certainly just flaws. Yes. Normally, when they do get out of balance, an experienced winemaker, a good winemaker, will normally put something else, blend it into something else Mm -hmm. in order to see if they can't use it as a compositional element, but sometimes they just release the wine anyway, and it's just bad. Yeah. You can also take some preventative measures for these as well. Yeah. So the, the first thing, if you've ever opened up a bottle of wine and you're kind of getting like these balsamic aromas, it's like nail polish remover Mm -hmm. uh, and vinegar, then you might be running into volatile acidity. Correct. What could cause that volatile acidity to occur? So this is another microbial issue. Well, depending on how you look at it, issue. They are called acetobacter, and that just means that they produce, these microbes will produce acetic acid during fermentation. So why is this a subjective flaw? That acetone flavor, in particular, or nail polish remover, can be a nice lift, or that vinegary balsamic aroma can be a nice lift, particularly with red fruit-forward wines. I mean, you think about if you use a balsamic vinaigrette on a salad, typically a common ingredient might be cranberries or strawberries in that salad, right? Because mm-hmm. those flavors kind of complement each other. So that can be a good thing in that kind of wine because it provides a little bit of an additional complexity or interest to the fruit character. Or if it's a cleaner, simpler wine, just because it has that lift of maybe acetone or something, uh, that Arcat's Telly, the Wildcat from Stinson Vineyard we talked about earlier mm-hmm. this year, that did have a bit of an acetone aroma to it, but it was in balance. And it did give that wine, a, I would say, a needed lift because I think it would have been a little too funky and too heavy had it not been there. It would have been a little dense. Yeah. Yeah. So volatile acidity can be actually very pleasant in a wine. But again, when you start getting overly balsamic, it can start to taste almost like a balsamic vinaigrette that's yeah. separated and, and it's... It's yeah. sticky and gross now, you know? It's almost like you're drinking a dressing, and it's yeah. not great. Yeah. So it can definitely go way too far, and it just gets dense and gross and not something you really want in your mouth. 
Now, this next one, though, it happens to be some of my favorite things to discover inside of a wine or in some cases a beer. You can end up having a little bit of like a rubber, a little bit of as as weird as it is to say Band-Aid. Yeah. And even a sweat or a barnyard-like aroma. Mm-hmm. So think like hay and horse. Yeah. Horse it, blanket is actually a very common yeah. uh, note that people will call for this one. This one is fascinating because, again, it really can do some things in order to add some complexity to especially reds mm-hmm. um, yeah. in my experience. Reds and from particularly France normally. What this is called, it's Bretonomyces. There's even a beer called Bret that exclusively uses that as its fermentation in order to produce the most sour thing that it can. And it, it's actually quite lovely. If you I still want to try like that. These. Yeah, we should totally grab a bottle. You can you can grab one of those bottles at uh, at Total Wine. Oh, okay, cool. I'm sure the Bottle Works has it as well. Uh, I just haven't I haven't been in there in a second. But either one of those is probably going to be a, a good spot to try that out. Uh, so what what is the cause of this? Well, it's exactly what I said. <laughs> it's Brettanomyces. Yeah. It's the this presence. Could, this could technically fall under microbial taint mm-hmm. because Brettanomyces is a microbe. It's a bacteria. So this is one of those things where, again, particularly French winemakers and particularly, particularly Rhone winemakers, Chateauneuf de Pop, like very specifically loves Brett. People will call it Brett as well. Like Michael just said, there's that beer. It's called Brett for Brettanomyces. It requires a lot of structure in the wine to begin with and a lot of very concentrated flavor to begin with because it can be sweaty and barnyardy and that can very easily overpower other aromas in a wine. You need to have a strong profile. A strong profile and you need to have a winemaker that knows how to control that Brett. So this is kind of where I was talking earlier about preventative measures. So knowing how much, if you are using sulfur, how much sulfur or other methods of making sure that the Brett doesn't get out of control because mm-hmm. if it does get out of control, it will smell like a sweaty Band-Aid. Band-Aid actually can be nice. Um, and when we say Band-Aid, we're not necessarily saying like a used Band-Aid, but like a fresh rubber Band-Aid. That you just pulled it out of the plastic yeah. and took off the paper. It's kind of that like rubbery, um, kind of funky smell but not dirty funky necessarily once it gets more into the sweaty character it can come across as a little bit dirty i kind of like that personally but the the point of brett is to kind of add that funky weird complexity some people are very sensitive to brett and they don't like it at all and that's fine some people really like brett some people like it more than i do and they want it to smell like you are on a literal barnyard that is a bit beyond what i enjoy personally in a wine but again like volatile acidity it's a spectrum and unless it's just completely unchecked and the wine smells like an actual horse blanket and it's gross and you don't want to put it in your mouth it's a very subjective flaw it's not great when it's not in balance. Some wines, though, like you said, when they do have that nice, strong characteristic, it just adds this beautiful level of like a rustic sensibility to it, if I can put it that way. Yeah. So another thing that can happen is if your wine smells a little swappy, and this happens more often than not from your your white wines. So it might smell like a, like sauerkraut or, or um, like a sponge. This can actually be caused by lactic acid bacteria. 
you have to make sure that it's done in balance. So they'll do this process of malolactic fermentation that will convert malic acid to lactic acid, and that's going to be giving you a much more creamy flavor as opposed to a fresher flavor. Yeah. This is typically used for like Chardonnays, that sort of thing. Yeah. But unfortunately, if it's not filtered properly afterwards, it can end up getting out of balance. That lactic acid bacteria can cause that more super swampy yeah. uh, aroma. And again, that would normally fall under our microbial taint Precisely. umbrella. Another one is if it tastes like rancid butter or butterscotch. This is more of one of our subjective flaws because sometimes you do want a little bit of that butterscotchy mm -hmm. smell. Then it could be caused by diacetyl. So if you have this, then it can be nice. It's not usually going to be something in red wines. Again, I, I do happen to really love Chardonnay and, and other forms of white wine. So I enjoy this being present. But uh, if the metabolism of the citric acid in the wine during that malolactic fermentation process happens, then the, the diacetyl can actually go out of balance and, and cause that it's like rancid butter. It's not good. So that's another one of those uh, subjective flaws for you. Um, the only other one that I can think of out of this is when you have a reaction with potassium sorbate. It's going to smell like bubblegum or even like uh, geranium leaves. And that's going to be caused by uh, geraniol. So that's just simply that, again, that white wine malolactic fermentation process where sometimes they do want that in there, but in some cases it just it gets out of balance and then it just smells way too sweet. Mm. And that is considered, again, a subjective flaw because sometimes you want that, sometimes you don't want that. Yeah. So basically a lot of this falls under the category of just things falling out of balance. Yeah. And that's what really separates our recognized flaws from our subjective flaws. Yeah, it, and I also, I included unbalanced wines in this because I also wanted to get a little bit into what is unbalanced to one person might not always be unbalanced to another person. I, Michael, can attest to this. I am very sensitive to the balance of a mm. wine overall. So let's get into structural elements. If I'm drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon and I'm getting medium tannins with high alcohol, that's a no for me. Yeah. Like it just doesn't work to my palate for that wine because Cabernet Sauvignon is a high tannin wine in general. And it actually tends to be a low alcohol or not low alcohol, but a lower alcohol wine just because it doesn't always have the sugar content that say Merlot will have. That's part of why Merlot will be blended in with certain blends is to mm -hmm. bump up the alcohol of Cabernet Sauvignon sometimes. So if I have a Cabernet Sauvignon that has like a lower profile of tannin than it should and then a higher profile of alcohol than it should, that just, it doesn't taste like that grape should taste to me. Yeah. But someone who might be less experienced with wine or maybe you just like a Cabernet Sauvignon that tastes like that, I would still argue based off of the expectations of the grape that that is a flaw, just like that's not even a subjective flaw, but someone might disagree with me on that. And that's kind of why I put unbalanced last here under subjective is Balance can be a bit subjective, but very unbalanced wines. That Barbera actually is, I think, the perfect <laughs> example. That wine was completely unbalanced, and I don't know a single person that would ever drink that wine, unless maybe it's like that's the first wine you've ever had in your life. You don't know what wine is supposed to taste like. 
even then, I don't think you'd like it very much because the acid was so low that all you tasted was alcohol and that weird, like, fruit that was underripe, but yeah. also overripe at the same time flavor. Like, <laughs> it was just, that was a bad wine because all the structural elements were completely off. It was unbalanced. And it was featured is, so prominently, too. Yeah. And, and that is a very cut and dry example of where an unbalanced wine mm. is just, it's a straight flaw for me. Well, and sometimes, so like a person might have landed on a type of wine and the bottle itself, the wine itself is produced unbalanced, but really what they're craving is a different style of wine. Yes. So if you yeah. are going after Cabernets that you notice have higher alcohol percentage, but also medium tannins, maybe you actually should go for just like a standard red blend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or a Merlot. Or a Merlot. Yeah. These are options for you based on what is and is not excellent. Yeah. And the only reason why I even say it in those words is not to make you feel bad for your preference, because your preference does matter. Yeah. It's to simply say that you should be promoting the best of style with your money. Yeah. And like we want you to find wines that fit your palate that are still quality wines precisely because if you only like that one wine that's lo a low quality cabernet sauvignon that doesn't fit into the profile then yes you have a wine that you like mm -hmm. and i'm happy for you yeah but there might be wines that fit that profile better better that are different wines precisely so you go to the merlot section and you start exploring and now the differences that you're noticing are a little bit more small they're a little bit more refined you're able to increase your tasting capacity for a style instead of thinking wow this is just really the only wine i enjoy it's yeah. about expanding your experience rather than limiting it yeah if you like barefoot whatever why do you listen to I, us actually i mean I, I i was kind of thinking that but like Obviously, there's something you like, and we can almost guarantee you, you can find whatever that thing is much better in an albeit more expensive bottle because you're not going to be paying $5 for a quality wine. But maybe for $12, you might find that profile in something that is much, much, much better mm -hmm. and that you actually will enjoy. That is still a quality purchase. But seriously, if you like barefoot wine, I I do have to wonder why you're listening to us. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I am under no delusion. I know that we sound really posh when we talk about this. <laughs> We're not attempting to do that. We love to include as many people as possible. But, like, are you a masochist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point. But it, the principle is still the same, though. That, like, Precisely. We want you to get the most out of your experience and not think that you are limited to one low quality or not even low quality, just one wine that doesn't quite match what it should be. Yeah, exactly. Like I've heard it so many times where people are just like, oh yeah, no, this is just the only wine that I can like. And I'm just like, well, let me, let me taste it. Okay. So this is why you like this. Yeah. I can point you in a direction that you can explore rather than that just being your go-to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like my dad, my dad likes sweet, normally white wines he loves sweet riesling and i've introduced him to higher quality german off dry to sweet rieslings that he really enjoys i introduced him to port he loves port and he he is now able to differentiate between low quality and, and good quality wines yeah just because i've helped him expand his palate past um you know five dollar moscato he was buying that for a while, and I'm like, Dad, I, I, I we got We can do better. Yeah, I, I got you. We can help you. <laughs> this is for you. 
So there are a couple of things, though, that when you go into the wine shop or, or when you open up a bottle of wine, you might notice mm-hmm. that aren't actually wine flaws. Yes. Yeah. What are some of these? Uh, these are just things that most people will see and think that's not supposed to be there, but it's actually perfectly natural. Mm-hmm. So the first one is tartrate crystals. Uh, they can also be called wine diamonds. These will typically, you'll notice them on the cork on the bottom, the part that's actually an exposure to the wine, if you are storing your wine correctly. These are tartrate crystals. Um, it's what gets turned into cream of tartar. The wine industry is actually the biggest provider of cream of tartar, raw ingredients, fun fact. I did not know that. Yeah. These are naturally occurring in particularly unfiltered wines. Um, There is a certain way of cold filtering wines where you drop the temperature because these tartrate crystals tend to come out of solution at lower temperatures. So that actually can be a reason why they show up in wine bottles that are aging mm. in particular, because wine bottles that are aging tend to be kept at cooler temperatures. And again, these tartrate crystals come out of solution at lower temperatures easier. So that is one way you can prevent them in bottle. But if a wine is not heavily filtered, the tartrate will be in the wine and it can just condense. It just naturally condenses. It's a natural part of the wine. It's perfectly safe. It is not considered a flaw. You can eat the crystals. I have eaten them. You can drink them. Some people like them, actually, kind of like some people like the next thing uh, that we've listed here, which is sediment. Mm. Sediment is much more common in reds than it is in whites, just because reds tend to have more stuff in their wine solution because they're aged on the skins normally, or uh, fermented at least on the skins normally. Also, tannins, I think we've mentioned this before, but tannins tend to bind together and fall out of solution over time, which reduces the color of the wine, for one thing. It will uh, smooth out the tannins overall, and it can throw a sediment deposit. So if you are pouring a wine and all of a sudden there's um, sludge, (laughs) I guess for lack of a better term, or sediment is a nicer way to say it, as you're pouring, particularly towards the end of the bottle, that again is perfectly natural It's safe to drink. I don't know of any sediment particles that are unsafe for consumption because everything that's in there was in the wine at one point and you're drinking the wine, right? So Mm -hmm. there's no reason why it would be dangerous. Sediment deposits can increase with age, particularly in things like vintage ports. Vintage ports, it's just expected that you're going to have a rather large deposit because of how those wines are created. Best way to get rid of sediment if you don't want it is to decant because you have more control and you can see where the sediment deposit is in a decanter versus a bottle. There are other ways. You can hold a candle or a light in general. You can even use your cell phone to the bottle itself. And if you start seeing the deposit approach... Yeah, please use your cell phone. Uh, We encourage fire safety. Yeah. Traditionally, though, uh, particularly at port houses, it's used with a candle. Um, But saying all that to say, you know, if you start to see the sediment deposit approach the neck of the bottle, just stop pouring and, and you'll have a safe thing. Again, some people like the sediment in their glass. I personally am not a huge fan of it because it tends to be rather bitter, and I'm very sensitive to bitter flavors, but Mm -hmm. it's perfectly safe for consumption, and it's perfectly natural for it to occur. So don't freak out if you have a little bit of black sludge at the bottom of your reds. So what do you think is probably the worst wine flaw story that you have, the worst wine flaw experience? I had a... Cabernet Sauvignon from Barron Ridge, which is a Virginia winery. Oh, no, no, not sorry, not Barron Ridge, Barrel Oak. 
Barrel Oak is an incredible winery. They have delicious wines. I would highly recommend going there. They are near Warrington. Really friendly staff, great location, great building. It's just, it's a really great winery. I really want to go back. I have been back actually once. Uh, I want to go back again. And I got a Cabernet Sauvignon that I had at their tasting room because it was incredible. And I let it sit on a rack that is next to my kitchen for about a year because I did not know enough about aging when I laid that Mm. bottle down. It was a combination of, I think it did get slightly cooked on the trip back to where I live from there. And I think it had a faulty cork and I do think it oxidized. I really tried to power through it. That's three for five. Yeah. I really tried to power through it, but it was, it was undrinkable. It, it, it was sour. All the fruit was gone and it just tasted like, artificial robitussin-y but also kind of vinegary it was just it was a mess it was a mess when i opened it and it was such a shame because again it was a beautiful wine Mm. at the winery and it was a cabernet sauvignon from virginia so you know that was a good wine because i normally don't like cabernet sauvignon from virginia at home yeah i brought it home with me that must be that must have been just the most disappointing it stung yeah it it stung a little bit um dear but well, for one thing, I stored it next to my kitchen, so there was a lot of temperature fluctuation mm-hmm. to begin with. Again, I suspect that cork might have been a little bit faulty because there was some wine trailing fairly far up on the cork when I finally opened it. So there could have been some oxidation at play there as well. And it just, uh, no. What about you? Aside from this A to Z Pinot Noir, because this is pretty bad. Oh, no, that's just the most recent one. And it, yeah, it is bad. But it, it's not the worst experience I've ever had. I actually uh, was getting in a bottle of Olima Cabernet Sauvignon, which I happen to really love. They're based out of California. So it is one of those big California Cabernets, but it has such silky tannins. And I was really excited to share it at a family gathering. So I brought it to this family gathering and I presented it to my family. And I pour it in, and everybody's nodding and saying yes and everything. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go to smell it. And it literally smelled like wet cardboard that had been left in a barnyard. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was like if you took hay and you stuffed it into cardboard, and then you just let that drag behind a horse. It was... So bad. And so I I took a sip and I'm like, y'all like it. I think it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Did anybody sheepishly go, yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but no. I mean, they were thinking I'm the authority and everything. And so if I bring it, it has to be good. And I'm just kind of like, I appreciate the respect, but it's also an, it's respect. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, but also respect yourself a little bit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> know your worth. Know your worth. Oh, God. That is that is our phrase. That is our phrase. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, it was very disappointing because, again, I really do happen to love that particular producer. Their winemakers are, I believe, the same winemakers as Amici um, out of France. So it's a French-style wine being made in California, which I would actually love to, to have other people in my life try because it's really good. In any case, though, that, that has to be the worst experience that I've had because it was just like it was the social and it was also just like it was possibly some of the worst flaws that I had come to recognize inside of a wine. Mm. 
That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And it would have gone so well because we were having roast beef. So it was, it would have been perfect. Well, you know what wouldn't be a flaw? Following us on Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) You did a plug. I did a plug. You did it for the second time. I did a plug. I'm so proud of myself. Yes, please do. And DM us with your questions, requests, suggestions, hot takes, opinions, bad opinions, good opinions. I don't care. We want them. We don't quite know what we're doing for the next episode yet. We might start on the project that we're working on. I was also thinking we might want to do another spirit episode because we haven't done one since the Mezcal episode, I believe. That's true. And I was thinking gin might be a really fun one to cover because there's a lot of really fun gin out there. There is. So um, I guess... Stay tuned to find out what we're going to do next. Yeah, stay tuned. We'll announce it on Instagram and Twitter, which you can follow us on at LaidbackLush. <laughs> when it's plug time, it's plug time, it's, baby. It's just, it's just plug after plug after plug. I'm just thinking of like those those goth guys that just like they just have tons and tons of piercings <laughs> on their face. Talk about me yeah. like that. <laughs> it's plug time. <laughs> Michael's looking at my eyebrow right now going, oh, there's two right there off the bat, so I have to do yeah, at least two yeah. plugs. Yeah, just just two plugs, you know, just one per Gabe's piercings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Anywho, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you do recognize any of those flaws, do not hesitate to bring them back to the wine shops. Yes. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. Yep. Um, and we appreciate it. So we also have something to celebrate today because today we have had, uh, we've breached 500 episodes, a number that I definitely knew. Uh, we've recorded 500 episodes. No. <laughs> I'm going to throw this at you now. And this it's is- not because you did anything wrong. It's because I have been seen doing something wrong. (laughs) This is the second time Michael has tried to make this announcement. We have had 500 episode downloads, and we are recording episode 30, which is just, it's not an insane number, but it is, it's an impressive number, I feel like. I mean, Listen, I, I didn't know that we. I didn't know that we were going to get to this point, and I'm, yeah. I'm grateful that we've made the progress that we have. Obviously, now my eyes are kind of set on a little bit more of an ambitious pathway. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I've been trying to post more and get in the algorithm on social media, and we we are trying to expand, and we really want to expand to the point where we can interview people and maybe update our equipment have yes. a space to because right now i am literally having to do scheduling acrobatics in order to make this work <laughs> yeah we are we are working we are a working we are a working yeah but i would love to see this grow i thank all of you who have listened and subscribed for allowing us the opportunity to grow as much as we have yeah you guys are fantastic you're the reason why we're able to do this and we really enjoy it yep and i enjoy it as michael <laughs> And I enjoy it as Gabe. Cheers, guys. Cheers.